So I kind of got I kind of got a lowdown um, from Ryan about uh, what was going on because you know Hans Erich is coming to be the pastor here uh, in a few more weeks, and um, and Ryan is brother-in-law. So Ryan is the brother. And you, you guys, if you've been here a little while, you know that his sister is married to Hans Erich. So it's all getting a little bit muddled, but they grew up, kind of grew up here. And so the, the comical thing to me was that Hans Erich, they attend the same church because they live over in Scotts Valley. And um, Hans Erich is preaching his last sermon there today, and they're doing a farewell for him today while Ryan is over here preaching. And then uh, while they're going to have a farewell for Ryan and Isabel, because they're going, they're moving to Mexico, that will be when Hans Erich is here preaching. And so I just thought, boy, isn't that comical? Because we chatted about how these families and the, you know, the churches and the families are kind of, everybody's driving over 17 a lot lately. And so, Ryan, we're delighted to have uh, you and Isabel and David and Charlie here with us today. And we're excited to hear uh, what you have to uh, bring to us. Um, and so why don't you come and let me pray for you uh, as you bring the word. Wow, there's the sound. Father in heaven, I, I pray blessing upon Ryan. I'm grateful for uh, his life in you for his study of your word and his desire to serve you with Wycliffe in Mexico that's coming shortly. And so I pray for he and Isabel in that um, task that's just before them um, in one month before they move. So thanks for Ryan. Blessing upon the word that he brings and also the word that you give to us that we receive from you. In Christ's name, amen. Is it on now? Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I'm not that technologically gifted. It was funny. As Thank you for the worship. To Caleb and the worship team, I, w- I was really blessed by that today. And uh, it's funny. It, it brought me back to a memory I had where um, Blake Gatterland and I, um, there you are. <laughs> I think we did some piano thing, like a duet thing. And I remember going over to Blake's house, and I was so intimidated because Blake was so good. And uh, I feel a little bit similarly intimidating because I know the quality of preaching that you have here is, uh, is pretty high. I remember Pastor Gadoland used to have amazing preaching and then Pastor Tim's as well. And I know Hans Herrick, my brother-in-law, is a great preacher as well. So it's with uh, uh, deep humility <laughs> that I stand before you, but also with great excitement. Uh, just a little bit of house cleaning. Uh, many of you know I'm going with Wycliffe Bible Translators to Mexico, and many of you are uh, prayer partners and financial partners with us. Unless you know we're 100% of our monthly financial goals, which is such a blessing, and I'm so excited to have uh, so many of you a part of that. Uh, we still have some startup costs to raise, but I know God is faithful, and I know we're going to get there. And um, I'm just thankful for, for so many of you and for the congregation as well for being part of our ministry, so thank you. I'm reading out of First um, Corinthians today. This is in chapter twelve, verses, or chap, yeah, chapter twelve, verses twelve to twenty-seven. I believe in the in the bulletin. It lets you know the page number. You can find that in your hymn Bible. Just as one body, though one, has many parts, all but its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given to one spirit to drink. 
Even so, the body is not made up merely of one part, but many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an oops, ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, uh, uh, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you, is a part of it. Now, I love this passage. And typically, this passage is used to say, you know, we all have different personalities. We all have different giftedness. And um, God works through all of our giftedness. And, and this, that's a good, <laughs> good preaching on that. Um, but I want to look at it in a slightly different light and sort of uh, in a light of the whole book of 1 Corinthians. Now, the church in Corinth um, was having some, some problems having some intercultural conflict. Um, so it, there, there were, I mean, the early church was, was fairly diverse. There were people coming, you know, Jews coming together with Gentiles and, and other ethnicities coming together. This was a, 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 f- a fusion, a melting pot. And so uh, this congregation, like any uh, intercultural community, uh, definitely has its issues it was facing. So some of the intercultural or interethnic struggles we see talked about in Corinthians or one there were um, there were factions people were choosing a leader I, I like what this guy says I'm with him I like what this guy says I with him and they were forming sort of camps kind of a tribal mentality also the issue of eating meat sacrificed to idols was particular sa- particularly salient for the community and they were having trouble dealing what is our church stance what should we how should we be living uh, uh, in God when it comes to this uh, act. Also, marriage practices were a little up in the air, and also the issue of covering one's head while coming into the house of worship. So, lots of different factors. Lots of different factors coming here. And uh, Paul addresses uh, these issues um, in a, another uh, section from 1 Corinthians, which is beautiful. This is found in chapters nine, chapter 9, verses uh, 20 through 22. It says, To the Jews... I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, although I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means... I might save some. Now, this passage, believe it or not, is a little bit controversial in modern missions. There's um, a, a movement called the Insider Movement, uh, which sort of says, they, they look at this passage in the Insider Movement, people say, this is Paul saying, we, 
we can worship God in our cultures, right? So God blesses this diversity. Uh, and so uh, we, we, can, we can feel freedom in our culture. And then we have some other, those, those, so those in, insider movement people want to contextualize the gospel, right? Put the gospel into a specific context and feel, see blessing of that context. And then we have some other people who are uh, sort of against the insider movement. And their point, which is, I think, valid in, in many ways, they say, it's not that Paul here is saying that, you, that uh, culture, that all cultures are, are wonderful, but he's saying that don't let culture get in the way of the work of God. When it comes to this issue of eating um, meat sacrificed to idol, Paul basically comes down and says, well, you know, it's fine, but don't do it if it's going to make another person stumble, right? All foods, all foods holy, but if, if, your, if your diet, you know, is causing disunity in, in the body, then just don't do it. Don't eat the meat. So that's basically where it comes down on. So the insider, the people against the insider movement say, it's not that um, all cultures are fine, it's rather that, we, that cultures shouldn't get the way, in the way of the gospel. And I think um, for this particular issue, it's important for missions to the, is, to the Muslim community, right? So there are certain insider movement people said, well, we, we should be eating halal, we're eating kosher, right? And we should, you know, we can pray five times a day like Muslims pray, and we can have a lot of these cultural elements that are from Islam, and we can, we can embed the message of Christ in this way, and we have some other people that are arguing against it. But as I was thinking about this, what does it mean? So for the people that are against the insider movement or for the insider movement, what does it mean to have culture? I mean, we, culture, is, <laughs> culture is a baseline. We can't get around it. I mean, if culture uh, includes language, facial expression, body language, gesture, how do you communicate anything at all without that? Right? There's, in, communication is impossible. So I think many times this argument is a little bit academic, and I want to make a case for um, encoding things uh, in, a, in a diverse way and for looking for worships of Christ in very different ways than we might imagine. Now, I'm a sucker for tradition. I love tradition. My favorite service all of the year, I think, is Christmas Eve service just because I love the lights. I love the, I love the trees. I love the holly. Um, and it's just, it's just a special time. It's a wonderful time. And those symbols somehow resonate with me on a very deep level. At our church in Edmonton, my wife and I lived in Edmonton for a while, they had this service called the Hanging of the Greens, which is at the beginning of this Christmas service, there was a service to literally decorate the, the, the church. And so as one person would put up the Christmas tree, someone else would come up and they'd read some scripture and we'd sing a song. And they'd explain the history behind that decoration. And so, for example, for the Christmas tree, it's an evergreen uh, tree which was used before the time of Christ to, um, to, to worship life. The fact that this tree would remain green through the winter was a reminder of that life. And so they exp- explained that history. And, for example, the uh, Christmas trees were a symbol of Woden, who was a, a Germanic god. Uh, we get our word Wednesday from Woden. Uh, But the neat thing is they would explain how these symbols have been reinterpreted within the Christian tradition, right? We no longer see this as a symbol to Woden, but we see this as life in Christ, right? And we see, we see Christmas lights. We see, we see holly. We see, uh, you know, those red berries. These are understood in new ways by the Christian community. And for me, that communicates on a powerful level. 
And I, I am so grateful that we have maintained those symbols because it can help me worship God. There's an, a different culture, and this is in the Philippines. Um, it's the Taboli people, the Taboli language. Now, um, according to Taboli uh, Cosmovision, um, one, uh, re- when one dies, one crosses a chasm to reach the afterlife. One crosses the chasm on a, on a bridge. And um, as one crosses that bridge, there's an evil spirit that attacks you and tries to knock you off that bridge so that you cannot reach the other side, right? That it tries to defeat your, uh, your afterlife. And so, um, so what you need to do to, com- to combat this, this evil spirit uh, is they have this ritual where you'll take cotton balls and you'll dip them in kerosene and you'll put them on the arms of, of children. It's usually when this practice begins. It's a practice of ritual scarification. You put these cotton balls with kerosene on your arms and, and you burn them. You light those cotton balls, and so um, these Taboli people will have these circular scars up and down their arms. And so what you do when you cross this bridge is you, you shine the light that has been put into your arms at the evil spirit so that you can defeat the evil spirit and cross to the other side. Well, a friend of mine went back um, after the Bible translation uh, project was finished, and it was in the native language, and, and it was just taken up by several churches. And she saw that many children no longer had scars on their arms. And so she asked, well, um, why, why, why don't they have scars? Why aren't you doing this anymore? And they said, oh, well, we, we read that uh, Christ is the light of the world, and it's by his, it's by his wounds that we are healed. So he, he, can, he can be our light as we cross to the, uh, to the opposite side. Right? He, can, he can defeat the evil spirit, and, and we, are, we gain access because of his wounds. And what, what a beautiful image. I, I just aghast at how beautiful that was. And if we couldn't accept this different vision, this different cosmovision, we as a Christian community would be robbed of that nature of Christ, of having that redeeming image of Christ. And so we see from, uh, from a European pagan tradition, and we see from a Taboli pagan tradition, something new, some new image of Christ, some new uh, truth shown to us and encoded in a powerfully, powerful uh, cultural way. Now, Scripture often emphasizes this cultural diversity angle as well. I have three passages I'd like to talk to. The first is from Genesis 1, uh, in verses in chapter twenty seven, um, oh, I'm sorry, Genesis one in verses twenty seven through twenty eight, it says, "So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them, male and female. He created them." And what strikes me about that is God in um, creating a people in His mind, in His image, creating mankind in His image, creates them differently. There are different pieces to God's image. And it's not uh, a paradox for him to say their diversity reveals who I am. I am more revealed by men and women than I am revealed by men and I am, than I am by women alone, right? In their differences, I am more fully revealed. The verse right after said that, Right after that says, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the, in the, in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So, uh, as he creates us differently in his image, he intends us, for us to be all over the earth. 
Well, there are going to be a lot of micros- a lot of climates all over the earth, lots of different cultures that are going to be necessary. One culture is not going to work in, you know, uh, sub-Saharan Africa like it's going to work in, uh, um, up in Hudson Bay, you know, in the Nuktatuk communities. Obviously, we need different things going on. We have different cultural preparedness. So right after God says, I create you in my image differently, he sends us all over the world, right? And that diversity is going to be mind-boggling. In Acts 2, uh, we have a story of the Pentecost. And of course, the Holy Spirit comes down. And this is, a, this is a Jewish holy day, a Jewish festival. And so when the Holy Spirit comes down, and they come down and fire on people's head, and Peter goes out and preaches, you could imagine him preaching in Hebrew, right? He's, he's a Jew, and he is preaching to fellow Jews from lots of, lots of places around, so he might have chose a Jewish lingua franca, which was Hebrew. But as he speaks, the Holy Spirit comes down, and his words don't come out in Hebrew. They come out in everyone's native language. He's heard in different languages. So the Holy Spirit from the get-go in the new Christian community is diverse in its communication, Right? It's not a singular message. It's a singular message, but its communication is diverse, right? Paul is saying, Peter is saying the same thing to everybody, but it's being encoded in different ways, encoded in different words, encoded in the words that people listened to while they were on their mother's lap, right? This is a, this is a powerful uh, recognition of the diversity of the early Christian church and an affirmation of that diversity, of that linguistic diversity, and not only was the early church linguistically diverse, but in Acts 11, a little bit farther on, it gives us sort of a, the church leadership of the church of Antioch. And I want to read you sort of who these church leaders of, of one of these early churches. We have Barnabas, who was a wealthy um, Cypriot-born Jewish Levite, okay, so Cypriotic Jew. We have Simeon called Niger. He's probably a black African uh, proselyte to Judaism. Right, so preaching uh, a new Jesus message to Judaism. We have Lucius of Cyrene, probably Greco-Roman, North African. This would be before the, um, the Arabic uh, influx into North Africa. So he probably wasn't Arabic, but North African. North African. We also have Manaean, whose, whose name is given um, in a Greek form of the Hebrew Menachem. So he was most likely a Hellenized aristocrat. Okay? And we have Saul, of course, known as Paul, a Tars- uh, Tarsus-born Jew raised in Jerusalem. So this cultural and ethnic diversity, is, it's baked into the cake as a Christian community. We have had this from ground zero. We've known nothing other than diverse encodings right, of worship of our Father. We have certain, certain religions, such as the Muslim faith, they want everyone to learn Arabic. And they want people to have a fairly, uh, fairly specific cultural identity that, that recalls this, this Bedouin tribe that was the Arabs, right? Well, in Christianity, we, we have always been more diverse than that. And we have always encoded things in a multiple way. Now, despite this diverse nature of the Christian church and the diverse nature that we have always worshipped God, Many times our first instinct when seeing cultural worship that is different than ours is suspicion. We're a little bit suspicious. We're a little bit 
uh, judgmental, right? You'll see something, oh, whoa, I don't, I, don't, I don't understand what's going on there. We have, uh, you know, some young, fiery believers, and God bless them. Um, I like to believe I'm one of them, or at least was one. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fiery believer. But you'll have people come into a church, and they'll say, you know, that band wasn't, wasn't rocking, you know. I, I, there was, it, the drums weren't, weren't awesome. The guitar wasn't awesome. The vocals weren't inspired. I don't think the spirit is alive in that congregation, right? That congregation is dead. I, I didn't understand that form of worship. I don't think the spirit is there. And we'll have other people. Uh, my grandfather is one of them. told me many times he does not believe that drums should be played in the church. Christian rock is uh, a paradox, right? You can't have Christian and rock music because rock uh, is just this emotional ecstasy that is not centered in a knowledge of God. And so for him, seeing this type of worship is it's strange, and he doesn't understand it, doesn't get it. For those of us who have Catholic friends, we'll think, you know, they, they do pray to Jesus, but they also pray to St. Thomas. They pray to the Virgin Mary. That is suspicious. I don't understand that. I don't agree with that. And for, for my wife and I going into a Mexican context, you know, we'll have people pray to the four um, corners of the town, you know, when it comes to the Stations of the Cross at Easter. And this is remarkably similar to praying to the four winds, right? This seems like something earlier, and, and, and we're suspicious, and we think, yeah, that's different. That's different than I know. Now, I don't mean to say that all these differences are meaningless, right? And who cares? Whatever, whatever anyone does is fine, but what I do think is that when we see worship different than the way we worship, we should not immediately jump in in a spirit of judgment and a spirit of suspicion, but we should greet that with an attitude of, I want to learn more. I know that my God is bigger than my culture. I know that my God is bigger than me. And this is something new that I'm seeing. Is this a new part of God that I'm learning about? Is this something I can enrich my faith with? So, if we're suspicious when people uh, worship differently than, than we do, I think that when people worship, if we, everyone in the world worship, were to worship like we worship, then that is suspicious, right? That's the suspicious part, that everyone would worship like me. Because God is not just me. God is not just my culture. God is just not, not just man. He isn't just woman. He isn't just Swedish. God is Taboli. God is uh, Jewish. God is, uh, he is uh, Nigerian. God is Sami. God is Sapotec. God is Warabundi. God is, God is huge. And we're, we're all made in his image. And we can worship him in much more richly than we do. So, when we meet ethnicities and forms of cultural worship different than ours, our first response should be one that seeks to understand. How is God revealed in this? What new aspects of God's nature can I learn about and through this? Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we praise you that you are a mighty God, that you are a God so much bigger than we are. We praise you that we're made in your image, and we pray that we as mankind can come together and worship you in all the ways that you deserve to be worshipped. 
that you would be worshipped in liturgy, that you would be worshipped with drums and cymbals and banging cymbals, that you would be worshipped with clothing, that you would be worshipped with dance. Father, let us worship you. And let us learn from the way that others worship you as well. We pray this in your name. Amen.